Welcome to Resilient You, a podcast with personal resilience expert Steve Leventhal, brought to you by Corestone. Development starts inside. Hello, and welcome to Resilient You, a podcast about resilience and good mental health during a time of change, loss, and crisis. My name is Steve Leventhal, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Corestone, an organization that works to help youth, vulnerable youth around the world, to live with greater resilience and well-being so they can thrive even in the most challenging circumstances. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought us to a place of extreme hardship for many people throughout the world. Millions of people are facing the challenge of quarantine, sheltering in place, loss of income, illness, and of course, the grief that comes with loss of life. It's a unique moment in time that quite likely has never happened at this scale in the history of humans on this planet. But I believe that in the midst of all of this, in this prolonged moment of suffering for so many, there's also an opportunity, an opportunity for all of us to pause, to stand still for a moment, to engage in a deeper conversation with ourselves, and to take stock of our lives. In short, an opportunity to find meaning and purpose in our life journey. Even as we continue to honor and navigate all the fear and the grief and loss and uncertainty that is so very much part of this pandemic. With this in mind, I've decided to focus the next four episodes of this Resilient You podcast on this very topic, meaning and purpose. And I can't think of anyone better to launch this, this series than with Dr. Michael Steger. Mike is a distinguished psychology professor, author, speaker, and founder and director of the Center for Meaning and Purpose at Colorado University. He also serves as an extraordinary professor with Northwest University in South Africa. He's a recognized authority on meaning in life, purpose, happiness, and positive psychology. And I also encourage you to take a moment and check out his wonderful TEDx talk, What Makes Life Meaningful. A man I'm proud to call a colleague and a friend. I really can't think of a better, more suitable guest to kick off on the, today's session with. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for the very kind introduction and for having a, a series on this topic. My pleasure. I'm so thrilled you're here. So, um, Mike, I'd like to start uh, with the origins of this very idea and search for meaning and purpose. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but my guess is that this search dates back to our early, early ancestors when we first gained the ability to self-reflect, when we first became self-conscious, self-aware, and looked around us and went, whoa, who am I? Where am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? What happens to me when I die? So along those lines, I'm wondering if you could just briefly tell us a bit about the probably pretty fairly modern or recent psychological study of the meaning of life. Yeah, well, this is a fascinating thing to, to, to spend our little brain power on, right? This idea that from somewhere in our evolutionary history comes this intellectual, spiritual quest to understand our place in, in all of time and existence. Like it's a powerful idea to try to wrestle with. And, and where did it come from? 
it, it, we really probably don't know. I think there's some really interesting theories out there, though. One theory says that, um, you know, we had to develop all this excessive cortical brain power in order to communicate at such a sophisticated level as humans. And that as we began to understand that other people around us, whether we were still at whatever level primate we were at, that they had brains and they had thoughts, uh, that they were trying to do things, they were trying to communicate things to us using uh, you know, visual and, and sound cues, utterances or shrieks or words or pointing, we began to develop something called the theory of mind, which is that I have a sense of who I am, you have a sense of who you are. And some people have, have posited that with that amazing tool of being able to peer into the invisible mental world of another creature, we began to apply that idea of the theory of mind to everything around us, to thunderstorms, to forest fires, to changing weather, to the stars, to everything. And we began to think, what is the universe trying to do? What is it trying to tell me? Uh, what's it all about? So that's one amazing idea that this goes back to just the idea that we are going to crave something meaningful and purposeful in our lives goes back to just the, the fundamental task of communicating with others and trying to express something and receive something from them in return. Another idea just says that simply put, we have to have goals in order to survive. And the fact that we have very elaborate mental systems means that our goals tend to be elaborate and quite, and quite mental as well, including what is it that I want to do with my entire life as opposed to what is it that I want to snack on right now? Uh, our brains don't stop there. They just keep going and going and going. I, I, I'm going to take a little pause and fast forward a few hundred thousand years to some of our earliest writings that we have that I think do get at this idea of meaning. So if you take a look at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes in uh, you know the, the Torah or the Old Testament or other parts of the Abrahamic religion traditions, you start to see the first inklings of a word that later gets translated as meaninglessness. And it really does get to that question of like, how can whatever is happening right now be valuable if eventually we die or eventually things end? It's this idea that we, we breathe like the animals, we die like the animals. How can there be any meaning if our breath can disappear? So that's thousands of years old. And I think the whole Epic of Gilgamesh, which is our sort of oldest cuneiform written story, these clay tablets in the British Museum, telling the story about this, this two-thirds divine Gilgamesh character trying to figure out what it means that uh, he experiences loss and that someday he'll die and that someday he might not be remembered. So I, I do think that there's that, that, that quest that's been there for, for centuries, if not thousands of years. And psychologists beginning with Victor, really seriously beginning with Victor Frankl in the 1930s, uh, began to say like, maybe this is a really relevant thing for how we go about understanding who we are and manage our lives day to day and actually think about whether our lives are happy or flourishing or maybe even pointless. So really the very recent history goes to the 1930s, but I think like you do, or it seems like you do that this, this craving and desire and thirst for meaning and purpose is, is very, very ancient. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly his, his, his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning was I think a really seminal book on that in, in sort of modern times, like in said 1930s, 1940s. Um, you know, along those lines, my, uh, I would assume that pretty much everyone would like to live a life of purpose and meaning, right? No one's going to say, you know, I'd much rather choose a meaningless existence. 
<laughs> but I, I've heard I've, I've heard you say uh, I believe this was in your podcast actually that and not your podcast your um, TED talk that uh, the question isn't whether we can find meaning rather we can't not find meaning as in we're we're just we're wired that way we're wired for meaning and I'm I'm wondering what you actually what do you mean by that statement when we think about what our what we're doing to have a meaningful life there's there's really only two solutions one you can just say so, right? You can just believe it, uh, or you can do things about it. But the, the, the machinery is grinding on no matter what. The fact that you and I are talking right now, the fact that we anticipate that when listeners chime in or join in, they'll understand what we're getting at, and we're trying to communicate something that, that feels really important in, in the world right now, that's all meaning. Like, there's no other way of getting around what we're doing other than trying to send and participate in meaning. Just the, the act, all these very simple acts are interpreting things. The, the whole premise for thinking about meaning in the, in the current global situation is trying to figure out what, what is this all about? And our brains are going to be doing that. The brains of some people are saying, you know, like, I don't have to worry about it. That'll affect other people. The brains of some people are saying, you know, my loved ones are in harm's way. This is a, the pandemic is an everyday present call, concern for me. And that's, that's always going to be, in my view, us making meaning. So our brains just do that. You know, our, our brains just take in information and put it in the places where it seems most fit according to these kind of like master meaning systems that we've developed over the course of our lifetimes. So if you think of them as like big, huge, like massive filing cabinets and, you know, they, it's like a, like a map and there's a, a pile of filing cabinets over there for scary diseases and there's a pile of filing cabinets over there for people who really like to help. And, you know, there's like all these filing cabinets as, as experience goes on, we like truck information about what's going on to one of those sets of files. We interpret in a particular way and it just is going to do that. You know, so for me, the main idea is that we'll automatically be doing that pretty much all the time. But the real challenge for living like a, a life with our eyes wide open and our hearts open to the world is to is to be intentional about the ways that we try to make those meanings. And the, you know, sometimes that means we're going to have to look differently at what's happened to us and what's happening around the world. And we'll just have to sort of try harder to make a different kind of meaning that that leads us to a better place. Is that where you um, is that where the word purpose comes in? Is that how you relate the two in your mind? Yeah, so I think purpose is really about what our our, our desire to do something, to strive for something that makes life feel worthwhile, right? So it makes it it feels like we're striving for something that's a worthy use of our time here. And you know, as we make meaning, we're going to decide that some things are worthwhile and some things are not. So when we a lot of times when we talk about meaning we're talking about a whole clump of things. Like we're talking about the way that we make sense of the world. We're talking about the things we wanna strive for in our lifetimes, our dreams and ambitions. And we're talking about whether the whole thing seems worthwhile or worthless or useless or pointless. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're processing those sorts of ideas all the time. And as we're building our sense of, you know, what is the world really all about? How can I understand this? How do I make sense of this? That tells us a lot about which kinds of goals, which kinds of dreams and aspirations we should really push for and we should really invest in. So that's the interplay between this, you know, making sense and, and having a sense of coherence about life and then the purpose that we strive for, in my view. 
Nice. So, which brings me to my next question, which is, is probably fo uh, focuses a bit more on the purpose side of this. Yeah. So one of one of one of the the big tragedies, in in my view, is is um, just how many people are stuck or find themselves from preventing or find themselves prevented from exploring, much less acting upon their potential. Um, being willing to devote themselves to something that they find purposeful yeah. or um, have the opportunity to do so. And, and I don't think that's even governed by whether I'm rich or poor or, or, you know, of this race or that race, it seems to be a universal type of situation where, where we, we see that the majority of people on the planet find themselves in jobs or relationships or both, you know, that, that don't allow them to maximize their potential. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, situations where they feel stuck. So part of the, the challenge is, um, is I think for many people, they just really don't know where to start. And for many people, just the, the act of asking these questions can, can give rise to a, to a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, it may also give, you know, bring up feelings of excitement, but often the fear and anxiety, you know, wins out. And so then they get stuck and they're in paralysis and they never really get to start, you know, to take that journey. So um, given all this, I've heard you speak about a concept that I, that I, that I really love. Uh, and I'd love to see you, uh, you know, hear you expound on it a bit more. And it's this notion that if, instead of focusing on the question, what if I tried to live a meaningful life, we should instead focus on what if I tried to give a meaningful life, um, which I found to be very profound. I, I'd love it if you could tell us more about what you mean by this. Yeah, thank you. You know, we've, we've got a real, you know, for, for decades and decades, people have been talking about these sort of existential crises that we face. And, and in part, it's because when we think of meaning as this huge abstract thing that will sort of, you know, settle the sums of when we're on our deathbeds, it, it doesn't feel like it's an active part of our lives, whereas there are a lot of different active parts of our lives that, that are, feel a lot more pressing, you know, paying bills, getting deadlines met, you know, keeping, you know, keeping people fed in the house or just relieving some, some pressure and you know, just turning your brain off for a second by zoning out and watching something, you know, on, on the internet or something like that. There's a lot of like these momentary concerns that, particularly when we're under duress, when we're, when we're doing things that in and of themselves aren't, aren't rewarding or enriching, like grinding away at a job that we hate, um, or just you know, pounding our heads against limited opportunities around us, the, the focus is very compressed into these sort of survival, um, what's gonna get me through this next moment, it, for, for really rational reasons, of course, like there's no judgment here. The, the issue with trying to live a life of meaning under those circumstances is that there's not that much support for the idea. You know, there's a lot of support for, you know, be more productive. There's a lot of support for, you know, like get a, get a bigger house or all these other things. There's not a lot of support for what are you supposed to actually do to make life feel meaningful? And for me, the, the, the beauty and the joy and what I hope will be the, the ever resisting heart of meaning is that it will it will step out of that system. It will step out of like the, I have to, you know, like the the day-to-day -day checklist, to-do list, and the materialistic strivings, the, you know, the shallow concerns that we we all find ourselves caught up in. Because in, at its heart, 
Meaning is about what is our whole life going to give? What is going to be the, the contribution to everything around me of all the days and all the moments that I live? And that, that just has to pull us out of our own skin sometimes. And so for, for me, like I struggle with this as much as anyone might think they might struggle with, right? Like how do I get out of my own little neurotic head and my own concerns and aches and pains and frustrations and, and all that sort of stuff? If meaning is inherently transcendent and it pulls us out of these moments and it helps us see a vision of our lives that's more than the, the biological tickings of our aging bodies and, and all that sort of stuff, then that probably makes sense for where we want to focus because we can actually then do things. We can set little goals for ourselves today to do something that steps a little bit beyond uh, the fray that's right before our eyes. It also means that meaning isn't going to turn into like, you know, like yet another commodity, you know, like where everyone's like running through all of their best happiness moments and happiness turns into how glamorous of a photo can you put up on Instagram? You know, I don't think meaning will go that way because if we keep focusing on what we're giving away, then we're not in the spotlight. It, the spotlight is the contribution we can make in the world, not on me as the possessor of all this fanciness. So I think if we can help just every once in a while, take that step out. Every day we set one intention to do something that's just gonna reflect our desires to contribute and, and give a little meaningful light to somebody else. Then it takes pressure off of trying to find like a Nelson Mandela sized purpose for our lives. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not gonna yeah. probably do that much to set an entire nation on a course to freedom <laughs> and reconciliation, but I, I can. Uh, make another human being, uh, you know, who's maybe holding a sign at a stoplight, hoping for something to get through that day, I can make that person feel seen, or I can make my child feel really listened to, or I can, you know, step out and try to offer whatever I have for my gifts, knowledge, time, whatever it is, I can just do something that's going to make someone feel like, yeah, that was a real moment where someone, someone gave me something that is actually meaningful on some level. Very nice. Yeah, I love that. And in particular, as you said, because I think what going back to the kind of paralysis that I described earlier that I think many people get stuck in, um, you're, you're bringing up that it's not doesn't necessarily have to be the, the big so-called big mm. acts, you know, being Nelson Mandela or giving up my career to go, you know, do charity work, you know, somewhere or, or big sort of giant um, dramatic steps like that it, it can be as simple as as very uh, an accumulation if you will of many 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 small um, moments in life in which we are connecting with somebody yeah. else and 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 offering something yeah, yeah. something so I, I think that's a it's a very nice point um you know we are of course in the in the midst of this uh pandemic and this podcast of course it's called resilient you for for uh, for a reason where we're focusing on basic tenets of resilience and positive psychology and, and, um, you know, within all of that, there is this con this, um, common theme that I find, um, frequently find, and I think we've just started to touch on it, which is about being a part of something greater than mm -hmm. yourself, that that's a really foundational, fundamental, um, you know, aspect of well-being. And that through a connection with something larger than myself, you know, this is where we'll find meaning and happiness and resilience. And 
Um, what I'm finding is that in the midst of all this, uh, let's just say, call it suffering yeah. right now, um, whether it's economic or you know physical survival for others and, and so on and so forth, uh, I do find that there is this conversation, right? And, and even on a deeper global, like a deeper global conversation that is turning towards reevaluation for, for many, many people, where people are looking at how to, how to use this crisis as an opportunity to go in new directions um, and you know, find something deeper uh, for them to sort of connect into. So I, you know, my question to you is, is and, and maybe it's a little bit of a silly question, but I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on it. You know, are there prescribed steps that within your research or within the field of psychology that you feel um, have been really identified as really being able to help people to, to begin to walk this journey, to begin to change direction and to begin to tap deeper into themselves and, and move in a new direction. Yeah, you know, there's a lot packed into that idea. We, uh, the, the things that I've, I feel like I've heard for so much of my like adult life, you know, beginning at the very least with the September 11th, 2001 uh, set of, of terrorism attacks in the United States is like this changes everything or you know it really makes you think and <laughs> so so I'm not a natural like happy positive psychology guy I tend to be a little bit of a skeptic and I really do like to follow the data so I will for sure come back to that but I'm I'm a little pessimistic on you know everyone's talking about we'll have some sort of new normal or the everything's going to be different and um I, I just don't know. I'm not even sure things are different yet. You know, some things are, but what I what I really feel like I, I I see a lot of times is that really when people just want things to be as normal as they can be or as familiar as they can be as much as possible. So I do think that it we're resistant to change. We're we're pretty we learned the rules for how to get by on the in the world in 2019 and we want as many of those same rules to keep working in 2020 and we'll want as many of those 2019 rules to keep working in 2021 whether they whether they're good rules or bad rules or nonsensical rules or not i mean at least in the u.s you can see that um a lot of people totally disagree that there is a new normal out there right that they, they, we don't actually have to change very much about <laughs> our behaviors so so part of me feels like when we say things like it really makes you think or that we're going to have a new normal or everything's going to change after this, that doesn't really express a prophecy that expresses a wish. We, we wish that somehow everything will change because we recognize on a day-to-day -day level, I think deep in our bones that much of what we are doing in our lives, much of what we're focusing on, many of the goals and the markers for success we put out there, that they're total BS. And we're hoping that something will shake up whatever it is that created that, that system we live in. We're hoping something will just mess that up and, and a better system will emerge. But it, it won't unless we do something, right? <laughs> you know, like no one's gonna change the new normal for me unless I'm also gonna change the normal. So I think. So that's why I think we're all going to have to do something to create the new norm. We can't just wait for the World Economic Forum to do it. We can't wait for the World Health Organization to do it. We probably don't want to wait for Facebook and Google to do it for us. I mean, we're going to have to create something, right. uh, each of us, a little bit at a time that works for as many people as possible. That's going to be different than the system that led us to 
a planet that's on fire and drowning at the same time, or, you know, diseases ripping around the, the world and people denying the, the impact of them and all these other things around freedom and equity and, and, you know, setting the world back in its battle against poverty, for example, as I know you very well know, we have to actually do something, <laughs> you know, we can't just be like, oh man, everything's going to be different. <laughs> Let's see. We have to make it different. So that does lead to things that are really focused on meaning in my mind. So one of the, there's, there's really two things that you can, three things we'll say that you can do, three playing fields for meaning. One is to stop doing things that are corrosive to meaning, right? If you can identify the things that suck meaning away from your life or the lives of others, we can start to limit how much we do that or we can change that. The other is to start doing things, obviously, that, that nurture and, and, and cultivate meaning in, in our lives and other people's lives. And the third is to really work with the most powerful gift that we have, which is the gift of being able to interpret um, and really abstractly reason and imagine with our lives. So there's steps in each of those areas that, that people can take that are linked through research to uh, greater lives of meaning. And I'll just say that the, 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 the strongest sources of research out there for what, what really increases meaning in life for folks come from the therapy world. So you can, you can see that, you know, the sort of things that if you want a more meaningful life, you probably have to live life differently. It's not just a judo trick. So I would say that, you know, there are steps you can take in any of those playing fields and we can dive as deep as we want into any one of those. But essentially think about the things that you do that are corrosive to meaning in your life or someone else's. Think, think about the, and do less of those, <laughs> you know, think about the things that, that you care about that are significant and worthwhile to you that matter or make you know that you matter or contribute to someone else and build a little more time into your life for those sorts of things. And then reflect, right? So you, 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 you posited that the, the birth of meaning for humans was when our ability to self-reflect and be like, whoa, I'm alive, <laughs> you know, like we are alive. We are alive and we're in the middle or we're at some random place in our life stories. We're not at the end. We're not living out some script that a puppet master's leading us on. We're, we're still writing our own life stories. And you can take the lessons of the past. You can take the struggles of the present. And you can take hopes for the future. And you can start to weave those into a new understanding of what life is for you, of where you're invested, of where you want to give and contribute, of where you want to share and join with other people. So I think those are really the three playing fields that people can, can run with right now. Fabulous, Mike. As always, you blow me away with your <laughs> with your eloquence and your your depth of understanding and, and knowledge in this area. Really appreciative of you joining us today, and I look forward to continuing this conversation next time we can get together in person and sit down and have a beer. Because that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Steve. I you know I can I can envision you as we're talking, so it's been really fun and. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of practical substance. So if, if you know, you want to follow up with uh, some more step-by-step -step stuff, we can certainly do that as well. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. Fabulous. Great. Thanks so much, Mike. That's it for today. Join us for next week's episode of Resilient You with personal resilience expert Steve Leventhal 